So Money Episode 726, co-founders of Cousins Maine Lobster, Sabin Lomack and Jim Salikas. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Have you ever had one too many drinks with friends and come up with an absolutely brilliant business idea that you then launch and six years later have it become an international $20 million brand? I'm not kidding. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and today I'm interviewing two people who can relate to that story. They're two of the most famous cousins in the business world, Sabin Lomack and Jim Salikas. They are the co-founders of Cousins Maine Lobster, and you may know them from one of the early episodes of Shark Tank. Barbara Corcoran ended up taking a stake in their then two-month-old business, and since that episode, they have started franchising, they opened brick-and-mortar restaurants, and now they've published a book, the two of them, called Cousins Maine Lobster, How One Food Truck Became a multi-million dollar business. Sabin and Jim grew up together in Maine, eating lobster off paper plates all throughout their childhoods. They went to college, they started separate careers in different states, and they went a few years without a lot of interaction. But that all changed when Jim flew to LA where Sabin was living and asked him if he wanted to go out to dinner and catch up. And that was the infamous dinner, which included more than a few drinks, when they hatched the idea for Cousins Maine Lobster. So we have a lot of ground to cover on this episode, including how they prepared for the Shark Tank interview, their biggest money mistakes, and the big ticket item they're both saving up for now. Here is Sabin Lomack and Jim Salikas. Sabin Lomack and Jim Salikas, welcome to So Money Cousins Maine Lobster. You've become quite the household name. Welcome to the podcast. Ooh, we're happy Thank to be here. For having us. Can you believe how in just gosh, in just a few years, y'all have gone international. You're in Taiwan now, and you have franchises all over the country. Um, was Shark Tank really where you got your big break? Yeah, this is Jim. I, um, you know, we started the business a few months before we went on Shark Tank. Um, and, you know, for us, it was just going to be a passion project. We were going to start with one food truck in Los Angeles, um, bringing the best of Maine that we grew up with from lobster and, and feeding the, those that are, you know, were craving it in Los Angeles. And it just, it, it was crazy. It just was far more than we ever expected. Um, and so, you know, when we went on Shark Tank, <clears throat> we, you know, we kind of went in anticipating that our business was new. Um, we didn't have a lot of history to it, but we knew where we were headed and what we wanted. Um, and I think for us, Shark Tank acted as a platform, as we like to say, that we really did go in looking for a deal. We really did want to do something with Barbara. Um, and we wanted to grow the business. We just didn't know at that time necessarily how. Um, and later, uh, a year and a half down the road with Barbara, we, we kind of got into the franchise world, but certainly Shark Tank served as a platform to share our story with nine to 10 million people to wow. share our updates and to sit there and say, Hey, this is who we are. We're these two guys from Maine. We're serving this product in this city. So yeah, of course it, it provided the opportunity to 
get into the uh, living room and family rooms uh, throughout the country and inevitably throughout the world. I want to get to so much, including how you got the idea for the business, why the two of you decided to work together. It's not easy working with family, but you all have obviously proven to make it work. And so I want to learn some uh, of your best tips there. And then, of course, I want to talk about your new book, Cousins Maine Lobster, How One Food Truck Became a Multi-Million Dollar Business. Congrats, by the way, on publishing that book. Thank you. And each of you has really broken out as your own brands. So you've got the business, but you also have your own individual brands. I know that um, you're making names for yourselves as uh, TV personalities and now authors and very popular on social media. And so I do want to go back to Shark Tank because we started there and I want to learn a little bit more about that experience because you were one of the first, I think, to present on Shark Tank. Now it's, I think the show's in like its ninth season or something crazy like that. And you valued yourselves at around a million dollars when you went on the show. And I think that when I watched the show with family, they all like asked me this question because I think I'm somehow the expert. Like, Farnish, how did these companies come up with their valuations? I think you were asking for a 5% stake $55,000 for a 5% stake, which was putting you guys at around a million, 1.1 million at the time of your presentation. How did you value yourselves back then? And and also, side note, how nervous were you? <laughs> this is Saban. Um, you know, we, uh, well, we were very nervous. Jim, more than me, of course. That's not uh, true. Being the, uh, <laughs> the older, wiser cousin, I definitely handled it better. He blacked out the entire show, so you can't ask him anything. Um, <laughs> but we were nervous. You know, we, we were definitely nervous just because, you know, we're going on national TV, and who knows what could happen. Uh, Shark Tank, unlike many reality TV shows, is very real. There are no take twos or do overs. You get out there, you're on stage. Uh, you don't you don't press pause. So that's what kind of had us nervous. Um, but we were really really prepared. We had practiced a lot. We had watched 50 episodes, so we went in pretty prepared and thankfully got out of there. Uh, you know, with the shark we wanted. Um, but in regards to your question about valuation. You know, we only had two months of sales. So we basically kind of just went off of saying, hey, if we did this for 12 months and, you know, we, we were consistent, here's the sales that we do. And this is what we think the company's worth. Now, um, in hindsight, uh, we really think, obviously, it's a low valuation, but, but who knows two months into business? Who and, and that was really the problem when we went on the show because people were saying, well, you know, you're, you've only been open two months and, and rightfully so. Um, we asked for a low amount of money, $55,000, because we really didn't need any money. We had our own savings, and we were thankfully profiting right off the bat. Um, so we didn't really want to give up much uh, equity as well. So, um, you know, we went in asking for not much. And, uh, you know, thankfully, 15% is what we left with. But right, the valuation we still think for, is low. The 55000 from Barbara Corcoran for 15%. Why did you want to work with her in particular, yeah, that's uh, this is Jim, and like Saban said, I'm the smarter of the two of us. So I had identified her as, uh, you know, really she just came across to us as, um, and I think she does for a lot of audience members that she comes across as, you know, what you see is what you get, and what you hear is who she is. Whether that's true or not, clearly you don't know until you go through the the, the process and the show. Um, but she seemed motherly. She seemed like she really cared about businesses. Um, 
you know, and what's at the core of them and maybe the fact that we're family owned and the, the, the product that we're bringing and not just about making a quick buck overnight. Um, so we, we kind of identified that we knew she worked with other food businesses. There were three or four that she had done before us. Um, so we got in touch with them, kind of got to have a little due diligence and see how their experiences were. Um, and then we also thought that, Hey, you know, she, um, maybe she'd have a little more time to work with her entrepreneurs because she wasn't, you know, uh, Mark Cuban in the midst of maybe his career and taking on a million things running for president. Um, Yeah. 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 Right. So like, so maybe there was, and these were just, these were just thoughts. We didn't know it was, if it was for sure or not, but that's why we targeted her. And sure enough, ever since, you know, we did our deal, um, it has been, you know, phenomenal and as real of a reality show as possible in that, uh, our dreams came true. She is exactly what we thought. Um, she's come with us to Maine. She stays at our home. She was at my wedding. You know, Aww. it's really a very personal thing now with how she treats our, you know, wives and fiancés and our family members. And, um, it's just a very, uh, you know, she's like another family member now. So, wow. um, certainly it was a nice little target to go after. And, and of course her business savvy, her experience, her marketing, um, really that's what she's phenomenal at. And, and you just, it really is priceless, um, mm-hmm. what she's gone through. So when we sit there and say, Hey, you know, Hey, we need to know someone in this realm or we need to get this done, or we are going through this experience. How do we act and deal with it? Um, you know, she's always got some sort of really valuable information and for two guys starting out knowing nothing, uh, that truly is invaluable. I want to learn why the two of you are such a great combo. And clearly, he, listening to you with just, you know, 15 minutes into the interview, you're clearly, uh, you, have, you have good sensibilities, you're, you, there's a lot of laughter, and um, clearly you work, I think, work, work well together if you've made it this far. But what made you know, even in the beginning, in the early days, that you would make good partners? And I do believe that the, the idea for this business was hatched over drinks and maybe a lot of drinks. which I think Uh is also brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This is Sabin. I mean, the idea was definitely hatched over an excessive amount of drinking. (laughs) Um, Actually just, and and Jim ordered a, 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 Espresso martini, martini, which is just embarrassing and disgusting (laughs) at the same right. I haven't had one since. Um, But we got. But it was a lucky drink. I mean, gosh. It was a lucky drink, perhaps. Yeah, the first and one one of one. Uh, You know, we we went out drinking and uh, it was really just a catch up. It was, you know, old family, hadn't seen each other in years, lots of laughs, talking about family. Um, and, and you kind of, you know, just like many siblings or family members, you kind of grow apart at times and you reconnect. And it was that time when we realized we had really similar jobs, really similar work ethics and, and really just, you know, enjoyed being around each other. As far as working together, we were, um, we were initially, you know, skeptical or concerned because the one thing we didn't want to do is mess up a good thing. We've got a really close knit family. Uh, they are dysfunctional like anyone else's family, but they are, um, you know, really good people and, and we all, we all get along well. So, um, we actually took a personality assessment test early uh, before we opened. And it was something that Jim's uncle did for, you know, kind of big, big uh, corporate companies. And we learned a little more about each other, things that you wouldn't necessarily know on the surface, things that, you know, you, you learn in marriages. Um, so as an example, we learned that 
when roadblocks come and things get really, really hard, Jim being the uh, athlete that he is, you know, will dig his head in the sand and no matter what, never give up. Whereas I'm more apt to say, yeah, you know what the hell with this, this isn't working. Let's figure out a different way around this problem. And at times throughout our career, just using this example, I've been right or he's been right. Um, and it's allowed us kind of that, that now allowed us in the early days to kind of get a blueprint into what the person would be like under pressure. Um, and, and, and kind of gives you, gives it a little more introspective look at the person. But that all being said, um, you know, we care about each other. We're, we're, we're friends outside of work and outside of just being family. We enjoy each other's company. So it, it makes it fun. And I don't, you know, I, I think we both would say we wouldn't rather do this with anyone else and you wouldn't trust anyone else more than your own family. So for people that are scared of working with family, we, we definitely don't see that. We actually enjoy it a lot. A personality test. That's brilliant. No, well, thank you. It was my idea. That's thank so you. far from the truth. Every idea has been my idea. This is Jim. Mark it down. No, really. I mean, I wish. I think married, engaged couples should do that. Uh, every, any any pairing should should go through that exam. Absolutely. I want to transition in a couple minutes to your personal financial perspectives and experiences. This show is called So Money. And so audiences love to hear about guests' experiences, learning about money, making mistakes with money. But one more question about the business. And I kind of touched on this earlier, which was that, so you've got the business, which is just thriving and it's been spreading across neighborhoods in the country. It's uh, going internationally to Taiwan. The I think what's also wonderful is that because of the success of the business, the two of you have established your own personal brands, so to speak. I know, Sabin, you have a cooking channel show coming out this summer called Seaside Snacks and Shacks. You're now both authors and and huge on social media. I'm sure you've got other sort of deals going on behind the scenes as personal brands. What do you like more, the business or the brand? Yeah, I think this is Jim. I'll speak for myself, obviously, and and, and Sabe can chime in, but... For us, we started this passionate about bringing Maine to all of these pockets throughout the country, whether it's a food truck or a restaurant. That's where our heart lies. It's the business and our franchisees, first and foremost, our team in Maine and in L.A. That's what we're all about. It's what the family business is about. And, you know, maybe due to that and some of Shark Tank and some other, you know, shows we've been honored and uh, to, to go on, uh, we've certainly maybe have some branch, you know, opportunities branching out, whether it be a book or a show for Saban or uh, speaking opportunities and engagements, um, which has been fun. But really, it funnels back to promoting and growing our brand, which is Cousins Maine Lobster. Um, that will always be first and foremost for us. Um, you know, the other pieces are obviously excellent, um, but ultimately kind of support this original idea that we had uh, starting in 2012. Yeah, this is Saban. I mean, I, I think Jimmy said it right where, I, I mean, it is, it, the show is going to be awesome. It's a, it's a fun experience. The, doing the book is great. Um, speaking engagements, all of the things, um, the, this is icing on the cake, um, but it comes back to the core. So for us, I mean, the business is, is, is everything to us. And the cool part about, you know, going and shooting the show or going away to give a speech, it's like, God, when you go doing it, you're so excited, but then you can't wait to get back to the office. You can't get wait to get back to, you know, the, the normalcy. And we've created something so unique and special um, that really not many people get to do. So it, it's definitely uh, nothing to uh, not appreciate. 
So now your financial perspectives, like we call it on the show, your money mantra. I'll start with you, Sabin. Do you have a financial money mantra or a perspective on money? And, And has it changed since you have built the business and accumulated more wealth? Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually pretty adamant about it. Um, I used to be very scared of spending money. I used to be very uh, scared of making decisions uh, involving money because I come from no money. I come from a a single parent household, low income, where money was never, ever around. Um, So when I first, that made me work hard. I've always been a hard worker. I've always had jobs. I've always saved. Um, But I've always been scared of spending. Very, very scared of it. Um, in a couple of years before opening our business, we write about, I read about in the book, my bosses, when I sold real estate, I wanted to buy kind of an expensive watch. It was a couple thousand dollars, which is insane for a watch. And they said, buy it. Like, I can't afford it. I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, they said, no, buy it. Once you do it, you're going to work harder. You're going to see that you can obtain this and then you can, you'll work harder. And I said, no, man, you know, and I struggled with it. Finally, I bought it and I realized, oh shit, I I can keep going. I can keep doing this. Um, So I, I apply those principles still in my everyday life, as well as the business. Anytime this business has has stayed stagnant is when we've had fear, when we've been scared of something. It doesn't mean recklessness, but it means some calculated risks and going going fearless. Um, that's what I do now personally with my life, my business, and my money. Um, I enjoy it. I spend it. I'm not afraid to spend it because I know that it will make me work harder. And it'll allow me to get a little bit out of my comfort zone. Damon says, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I bought an expensive car because I've always wanted one. And it was uncomfortable to do. And then once I realized I could do it, I said, well, good. I'm going to save more because I want a really nice house. I've always wanted a nice house. And that's my next step. That's what I'm working for right now. Um, So I just tell people, I mean, at least for me, you know, challenge yourself. Don't be, don't be scared. So what I'm hearing is that two things. One is that you believe that the world is abundant, that, you know, the more that you kind of put yourself out there and take some calculated risks, the better you get at risk taking. And when it comes to your money, the same thing, like when you buy the thing that you thought you couldn't afford, but you do it anyway. And then as a result, you're mindful of that. There was always more money out there if you work hard and you stay focused. And then the other thing, which I've heard Barbara say too, because I've, I've interviewed Barbara many times, is that you have to spend money to make money. Oh, 100%. Right? I mean, there's no question about that. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, the, the, if people want to make all this money and they don't want to take any risk. They don't want to work. You know, your time is money. They don't want to work. They don't want to spend it. They, don't, they just think that it's going to magically come. You have to spend money on marketing materials. You have to spend money on a nice website. You have to spend money on a nice looking t-shirt. You have to do these things. Um, you know, if you want to get, if you want to uh, go on TV, you're going to have to create a demo reel. You're going to have to do these things. And then, and then look what can come of it. It's not a guarantee, but you have to do, you have to do the bare minimum and people don't want to do that. And I think that's what we've learned a lot is that when people will meet us and they'll say, oh, I was going to do that. I had this idea. I was thinking about doing it. And you can quickly hear that they're not going to do it. They're never going to do it. And it's a shame because their ideas are pretty good. 
Jim, we heard Sapin talk about growing up in a single parent household and not a ton of money to go around. What was your childhood like when it came to money and how, what was a, maybe a very significant financial experience you had as a kid, like a money memory that has stuck with you all of these years? Yeah, sure. Um, Sabin always says that uh, we grew up 10 minutes away from each other in two different towns, but he always says I grew up on the other side of the tracks, which is uh, hilarious to hear, but it's not, it's not, it's not true. But I think really what he's saying is that, Hey, you know, I, I was privileged and, and, um, you know, lucky to grow up with, uh, my mother and father who, um, I think raised me very well, but we, we weren't, uh, you know, well to do by any means, but the, the point, I think how I would answer your question is that while I was lucky to have my parents raise me the right way um, and to teach me these lessons throughout, um, you know, my father was a, a CPA by trade and, and uh, a CFO through his, his times. And so he had a, a certainly a way to look at um, money, managing it um, and valuing that, which, you know, I've, I've certainly learned bits and pieces of Sabin's mantra with money and taking maybe more risks and spending money because it could all be gone tomorrow. And I don't mean money, I mean your life, right? Certainly the things that we've learned over time, you all have those stories of, you know, friends or, you know, the healthy 40-year-old that was running on the treadmill and had a heart attack and passed away and, you know, didn't take any vacations or spend time with family because um, he was saving until he was 65. So I think there's certainly that aspect of, of saving and some other friends too that I've learned and said, hey, you got to enjoy life too and you got to spend some money. Um, but having been raised, you know, by my mom and dad, I think one of my significant um, memories with kind of the money management side of things is saying um, nothing was given to me. Everything had to be earned. Um, and I think one of those big moments was when I was probably at the age of 10, um, you know, my, my, I did have some friends who were wealthy and they, and they would get, you know, they'd get things after school. They'd get food or candy or hockey cards and they'd get to go places that I didn't necessarily get to go. So my father always kind of reflects on that saying, you know, Jim grew a liking to maybe some of the finer things in life or wanting some nicer things at that age. What does that mean? You know, um, it would mean that I would need some of my own revenue. And so my father, who's Greek, he would go to his Greek church for a four hour mass every Sunday. And he said, uh, you know, he said, well, why don't we go clean the church every Sunday instead of them hiring this big, you know, massive corporation to come in and clean the church and all of its, you know, pieces and pay a lot of money. Um, I was the janitor uh, with my father every Sunday and I would go play hockey all weekend. So I'd have played in the morning and then I'd go and do this. I was exhausted. And from literally the age of 10, I would go in and I would scrub the floors. I would mop. I would do toilets, which is very humbling. Um, I would vacuum. I do the pews. I mean, it was a three hour job every Sunday uh, that to me taught me work ethic. Um, it taught me the value of my father and mother just not giving me things because I wanted to have some money to go spend after school. Um, but ultimately <clears throat> taught me how to earn my own money. Um, and it was small amounts at the time. And I did that until I was about uh, 18 or 19. So even when I went away to boarding school, I'd come home in the summers and still do it. And when I played hockey as a, you know, all the way through my twenties, I'd come home after the weekends and do that. <clears throat> so certainly he taught me that lesson, the way to earn money. And I think, you know, kind of to savings point, what that means is that, uh, you can want whatever you want in life at the age of 10 or at the age of 20 or 30. Um, you just got to be willing to go do the work and, and find ways to make it happen and, and earn your own income. I love that. And I think what your dad was also teaching you was the 
foundation of entrepreneurship. I mean, because it, you look now at people who are very successful, self-employed entrepreneurs, there's always a correlation to working at an early age. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs started working when they were 12, 13, 15. They love to work. They're not uh, lazy about just rolling up their sleeves and doing whatever. And so I think that it's no coincidence you've now built this amazing business for yourself. Let's talk about failure. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about really quick, each of you share your biggest money failure and what happened and maybe what did you learn? Um, okay, I'll start. This is Sabin. A couple months into business, we were approached by someone who said, hey, do you want to open up uh, inside of our lounge here in Pasadena. And uh, we thought to ourselves, oh yeah, of course, we're batting a thousand. Why wouldn't we go do that? Um, we are such smart entrepreneurs. How could we lose? Um, so we you know, suddenly had a, a restaurant pop up inside of like this makeshift swanky lounge in Pasadena. And it was an absolute nightmare. Not only did we not make money and was it a money suck, it was a, it was a complete time suck. And it was a bad representation of our brand. Um, and, you know, time, energy, money, until about a year later, a year and a half when we pulled out because we were so stubborn, we didn't want to leave. Um, and the lesson I learned on that one, because I kind of headed that one was, boy, oh boy, not every opportunity is a good opportunity. Um, just, you know, you go off shark tank or you're just, a, you know, you know, someone walks up to you and says, Hey, I have this idea or this, this potential for you. You feel like, Ooh, well, let me think that one through. And sometimes the best things you could do is pass. And we, it took us a lot of, uh, time, energy, and money to figure that that was one of the ones we should have passed on. Uh, and it was a terrible opportunity. Was it just because it was too misaligned kind of brands? I mean, you use the words like Absolutely. swanky and I don't yeah, think your was, brand is swanky. It, well, that, that, that for one, I mean, you, there was a, there was a bouncer at the door. So if you came at night with your, <laughs> uh, your family uh, to get a lobster roll, they were playing club music and there's a bouncer. I mean, the, the aesthetics weren't matching. It was, it just was so off brand and our, our Yelp reviews there were dramatically worse than our Yelp reviews on the truck. Yet it was the same exact food because people were coming for an experience and they weren't getting that experience that they expected. Um, when they got there. So terrible decision. Uh, we were, we were basically telling our, our, our people that were so excited to try our food, um, you know, come here. And then they came and they're like, ugh, what a letdown, you know? And so on our part, we went from thinking this was going to add to the brand to realizing it was quite the deterrent. Jim, how about you? Yeah. I mean, for me, if we're keeping it in the business world, I think that one of the risks we took um, was bringing, bringing a food truck home to Maine for the first, you know, four or five years of our business. Uh, tourists and locals would always say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to Maine this spring, summer, fall. Where can I find your food? Or tourists would say, this, uh, locals would say the same thing. Where can I get your food? We never had an, uh, our own functioning unit in Maine, whether it be a food truck or a restaurant. Um, so this past summer, we decided to do that. We brought a food truck to Maine and we thought there was a real potential to to go home uh, for tourists, for locals, uh, and to get into that scene. Um, and there really was a lot of upside. But uh, so we spent the money to, you know, get the truck done and to, to set it up there and on staff and payroll. Um, and I think for us, what we learned through this experience uh, of maybe 
the risk with uh, investing money into a new market was that um, where we're from, Portland, Maine is not really a, a food truck culture. It's a little bit harder to get uh, into the, the prime spots, into the downtown, the old port on the waterfront um, with the truck because it's just not that friendly yet. Still got some regulations. So when we would get to phenomenal events and festivals, we do very well. People loved our food and it was really excellent. Um, but day to day, it wasn't as consistent as some of our really great franchise cities and our own cities here in LA. Um, but what it did do, which is the point of kind of taking risks and being fearless was identified a new opportunity. And it said, okay, well the day to day food truck moving around the city may not work here, but we found another location that's more of a permanent spot um, where we'll have our food truck this year in Maine, um, you know, for the seasonal business spring to fall. So for me, it was say, Hey, it was an investment we made. Maybe we didn't see the money back right away that made it, you know, super exciting, but it did also give us another opportunity and some insight into the market. So again, it's kind of taking chances, understanding there's potential and maybe it pans out, maybe it doesn't, but that's, I think a huge thing for entrepreneurs is, you know, take the plunge, take a leap and learn and say, okay, well, uh, we, this is great. We're going to keep rocking with it or we need to adjust because the data or the market research or the, or the people tell us, you know what, cool idea, but tinker with it or go yes. this way. Um, I mean, so you, that can't, was a good learning you can't not have cousins, Maine lobster in Maine. I mean, it has to be there <laughs> in some way, shape or form. And I'm glad that you stuck with it. And although you pivoted, it's, it, you stayed yeah. there in, in some format. All right. This question comes to you from our sponsor, Chase Slate. And we want to know what is something that each of you is saving up for currently a big ticket item that you're, that you're excited to purchase in the near future? Uh, this is Sabin. I referenced it earlier. I'm, I mean, I'm saving up for a house for uh, my family. We currently um, currently rent a nice house. I want to buy a nice house, my dream home with a, a you know nice big house, pool, built-in barbecue, you know, the whole thing. That's what I'm saving for. Guy doesn't even barbecue. Come on. Um, this is this <laughs> you're going to be Jim. barbecuing for him. He's going to put you to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he's going to make him over do it. I uh, this is Jim. So yeah, I'm actually right on the same uh, same level here. I, I just got married a couple months ago, so my wife and I are uh, looking to do that. We currently rent as well. Um, at one point in time, I thought that I was going to be you know by coastal or end up back east where I'm from, obviously. So a part of me would love to buy a home. It's just been a decision as to where and, of course, uh, saving up money to do so. So finding the right fit for us in terms of size and location and where we can still have fun and enjoy you know, the inside and outsides of the, uh, of the real estate. That's kind of what we're headed for. And unfortunately, we live in Los Angeles. So it's just a, a pain in the butt with, uh, with the experience. Well, we just had a great real estate agent on So Money from Los Angeles. She's the number one real estate agent there. You should hook up with her, Tammy Halton Party. Have you been seeing her signs around town? I think so, yeah. Yeah, she's got a lot of great listings. So you all should hook up and she'll uh, hopefully get you a good deal. 50% off everything. Yeah, right. Just cross that off your list. Okay, so before we go, we'd love to talk a little bit about your new book. We mentioned it earlier, but um, can't let you go without asking you a little bit about it. And my question is, what would you say is something that you learned about 
um, entrepreneurship that kind of surprised you that you think a lot of entrepreneurs don't know that you reveal in the book that you think is probably like the most, if you, if you take one takeaway from the book, this, this should be it. And it could be different for each of you. So go at it. I'll, I'll start. Um, this is Sabin. Um, mine would be to trust your gut and to, uh, to outwork everybody. So it kind of sounds simple. Um, and I, you know, we're, you're talking about, you're talking or listening, I guess, to two guys who didn't go to business school that had never opened a business that really didn't work much in the food space that aren't chefs that run a huge business right now based around food. But we trusted our gut. What we did is we said, you know, we think this is going to work. We're really going to go hard on it. We really are going to, to push it to the limit. And we're going to, we, we didn't tell our family what we were doing, by the way. We worked on this for a year. We told nobody because we didn't want to have any naysayers. We didn't have, hey, guys, you're 30. You should, you know, you don't open a food truck. Keep, keep your day job. So we believed in it. So sometimes, you know, that, that, that inner chatter that's telling you that something is right, you should listen to and don't listen to the naysayers. Yeah. I mean, how did you even come up with the idea in the first place, given that this was not, you're not, you're not food people, you're not restaurant people, you're not food truck people, (laughs) Um, but you had a real good instinct about this. You know, we just, we, we believe in Maine lobster because it's what we grew up with. We believe that it's, it was, it was a void that definitely wasn't in Los Angeles. You couldn't get it. And we, and we looked at the market and we said, wow, food trucks are thriving and they're really becoming cool. Um, let, let's see, you know, we, we were confident. We were, you know, we weren't a hundred percent sure it was going to, we didn't think it was going to be anything like this. But we thought that it was a good idea. Um, and what we did is we just didn't want people to deter us and go, yeah, that doesn't sound – because on, on paper, it doesn't sound like the most brilliant, awesome idea in the world. So we didn't really want people to, to be naysayers about it. But you know, we thought it was a good idea. Um, you know, we, we believed in our product, which is Maine Lobster. We firmly believe it's the best thing in the world. So you know, that alone gave us confidence. And then the day that we opened, you know, we had 100 people in line. It never stopped. So every day that went on, we, we became more and more confident and more and more uh, steadfast that we had created something or we were in the process of creating something very special uh, and talking to customers, seeing how happy they were, reading reviews. Uh, that just, you know, that just reminded you, so I think we have something really big here. So you didn't have all the answers, but you had enough to go on and you trusted your gut. And then you also were really open to feedback, which then informed how to keep the business going. That's brilliant. Okay. We had no answers. You had no answers. We had no answers. We knew nothing. Just to be, and I'm not kidding. I'm being very, very clear. Jim, what would you say is your favorite part of the book? If there's one takeaway for everybody, this, this should be it. Yeah, um, I guess there's two real quickly, but the the main one for me would be that we've always said um, to have humility, like that we've had it um, and everyone should when you're starting a business, because uh, to Sabin's point, we didn't claim to know anything. We didn't have an ego that was going to stop us from learning everything. Um, And that was just it. When you take on a new business and you're starting something you know, from the ground up, there's a million things you don't know. It's not just your, your, your job where you work from someone else and you need to learn that, you know, one piece of the entire business. You need to know everything A to Z. So when it comes to payroll or insurances or staffing or hiring or firing or food safety or sales or marketing, we didn't know any of it. Um, so we had to find those experts, whether it be Barbara or my dad or our cousins or friends or family, anyone, um, 
to be those experienced people where we would ask a million questions until we felt confident, until we learned it for ourselves. Um, and that can get you a very long way. Like we, we never claim to know everything. And I think, you know, the other piece for me is that, um, I always thought that, you know, from the age of 10, I wanted to play college hockey, division one college hockey. Well, I did it, but I thought that that was the hardest route road I would ever experience from a small town in Maine. Um, I didn't think anything would, would, would come close to that. And when I got out of college, I wanted to sell medical devices and everyone said, you have to go sell wine and copiers and you'll never get that job out of college. Fortunately, I found a way, but this is so far beyond those two experiences in my life, which I never thought would be possible in that entrepreneurship, starting your own business is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. Your highs and lows, um, you times you're like, oh, you know, why am I possibly doing this? And um, it's what you sign up for, um, but it will be harder than anything uh, firmly, I believe, that you've done, you know, in your life. Um, and that's why it's really important to have the best partnership and team around you. So those would be my two things. Really, this is such an inspiring journey that you've been on, and it's only the beginning. I mean, how many years? Like just a handful, right? Six years. We just six celebrated years. our six-year anniversary. Did April we celebrate 27. it? No, we didn't celebrate, didn't but celebrate. Uh, we will one of these days. We, you've been we, so busy, uh, yeah. Yeah, we never, we never have time, but one of these days we will. Well, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. Congratulations again on all the success of Cousins Maine Lobster, the book, your TV career, Sabin. Uh, lots more ahead of you, no doubt. Wishing you continued success. Keep on trucking. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Having us. Thanks to Jim and Sabin for coming on So Money. If you'd like to learn more about their business, go to CousinsMainLobster.com. I know some of you are interested in franchising ideas. Maybe this is the one. Also, you can keep up with Sabin on Twitter and Instagram at Sabin Lomac and with Jim on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Salikas. That's J-I-M-T-S-E-L-I-K-I-S. But don't worry if you don't have a pen or a pencil. All of this is at SoMoneyPodcast.com, including all the social media for Jim and Sabin and the transcript for the episode, the audio. And of course, there you can also click on Ask Farnoosh at SoMoneyPodcast.com and send me your question for our Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. So Money.